Welcome to Just a Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom. And I'm Rachel, a mentor to kids in care. So we thought it'd be a good idea to start this year out by taking a reflection and sharing with you all what we learned from last year. Um, 2021 was a big year for us, as it was for many of you. And yeah, we just thought it'd be really valuable to kind of share some of the stuff we've learned. Yeah, you know, 2021, we're still kind of struggling through that pandemic, so it's a little bit slower lifestyle for us all. So taking that time to reflect um, as we go into this next year, I think is especially important. So Natasha, what is one of the key lessons that you learned last year? Yeah, one that really hit home for me in some really big ways was that good intentions does not mean good impact. And I don't know. I just feel this is so important to share because I feel like especially as a foster parent or even as, you know, a foster care volunteer, it's so important to be open to growing and evolving because you can really have the best of intentions and still cause harm to a child. Um, So I personally experienced this in my home um, with a kid in my care that I had really great intentions with, but looking back, there's ways I could have done things that would have been better for everybody. Um, And So that was something that I really had to learn and work through. Um, But also what I learned, too, is kind of on the flip side of this is that, you know, I think kids in care are often really advanced in their ability to pick up on the attentions of others. You know, it's a survival instinct for sure that they've really honed a lot of them. And so what was really cool for me to see, too, is even though, you know, sometimes I was um, you know, trying my best but falling short is that often times, you know, these kids, um, when they know that you're trying to be really respectful of them and trying to care for them, they'll have a lot of grace for you when you do make these mistakes a lot of the time. So that was really cool for me to see that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I know that you can't really go into specifics about your placements, but do you have any specific examples of where you had a good intention, but that didn't really necessarily come out in the end product? Yeah, well, I can high level share um, a little bit about that. Um, I know we've mentioned on the podcast before that we did have a placement that ended up disrupting. And so I think that was a perfect example of how good intentions really don't always mean good impact because, of course, it's never a positive for a placement to disrupt for a child um, in terms of, you know, then they're having to move to another home, Um, you know, and even if the home they move to next is a better situation, you know, there's still that harm that's created every time a child has to move homes. It makes it harder for them to create relationships. It makes it harder for them to concentrate on school. Um, And studies show it does create um, some of the same brain patterns as a trauma, like it is a trauma for a child to have to move at home no matter the situation. Um, So that was a really big learning experience for me. And I think that ties into a lot of the other lessons I learned as well. Um, You know, another lesson I learned through that is a good fit is often underlooked, I think, in foster care, but really can make all the difference. And what I mean by that is sometimes like your home or your lifestyle isn't going to be a healthy place for a child, you know, no matter how hard you're trying. And that might be because of culture clashes. Um, That might be because there's maybe too many other children in the home for a child to feel safe, or maybe too little other children in the home, too few other children in the home for a child to feel safe. Um, 
you know, maybe it's that you don't have enough time to meet the child's needs, or maybe you don't have enough training or experience to really show up for this child in the way that they need it. Um, and you know, that can be a really hard pill to swallow to be like, Hey, I've really reached my limit here and this isn't serving this child. And I think what's also important to note with that is, you know, that's a great point that you said, you know, placement doesn't always work out in the home. Um, but I think that what is important in our, what our viewers don't know, what our listeners don't know, um, is that you continue to have a relationship with your first placement. While the placement was disrupted, you still continue to have that relationship um, as you're saying, yes, there are negatives about a child being removed from a household. However, I think what has been really awesome and cool to watch is you guys continuing to have a relationship um, and contact with that child and seeing the positive benefit that that is having. Yeah. And I think sometimes you have to get really creative, right? And how that's going to look. And it's so important to really think through, okay, like what is healthy? you know, for this child first and foremost. And that might look different than you might expect it to look at the beginning. And also just to be aware and open to how they also want that relationship to look like, right? Like sometimes people might need space or they might need time um, or it might look different than how it would be ideal for you, but just to, you know, acknowledge that you're the adult in the situation. So you can be a little more flexible on on how that can be. And how has like your first placement being disrupted, how has that helped with your second placement? Yeah. Um, well, I think what was really important is we took some time to heal. And that's another lesson I learned this year is never um, to underestimate, I guess, the power of taking some time and space when you need it. So my partner and I, we took about six months to just reconnect and um, reflect on what went well and what went like what we could have done better. Um, and then also to, to just rest because, um, you know, we really needed that at the end of this. Um, and if we hadn't taken that time, I don't think we'd be able to show up now for our full-time placement in the way that we'd be able to, um, and the way that we are able to now. Um, and we learned so much, you know, from our first placement in terms of, um, you know, how we should best create a healthy dynamic in our home. And um, it was our first time parenting. Foster parenting is our first time parenting. So we learned so much just about parenting in general. What does it look like to parent as a team together? Um, and I think one of the most important things we learned is we really did learn our limits in some way. So we learned, hey, what are we able to handle in a healthy way, you know, together? and also individually, and what just aren't we able to handle, right? And that's not really anyone's fault, right? It's not the kid's fault that was in our home. It's not our individual faults. Everyone has limits. And I think a lot of times in foster care, we can get caught up in the potential for what can be and forget like the reality of what is. And that that's an important balance to have, right? Because you definitely want to be holding both at the same time, especially for the children in your home. But it is so, so important to just recognize and honor your limits. Um, so before, I think I would stuff down a lot of my feelings um, and just think, oh, hey, these feelings don't matter. I just need to keep pushing forward. You know, I if I just try hard enough, you know, I can make anything work. And that placement disrupting just really showed me that that isn't the case. 
Um, so now I'm much more honoring of my own limits. And I think it's actually so much better too for kids um, that come in and out of my home, right? It's so important for them to see that, hey, it's important to honor other people's limits. So now I'm much more direct, you know, with a full-time placement at our home, if I need some time or if I need some space, you know, I just say it really plainly like, hey, I need some time right now. You know, I'll be downstairs in 30 minutes. Um, and also letting them know like, hey, this has nothing to do with them, right? Like, hey, I'm feeling just kind of tired today. I had a hard workout, you know, earlier. I just need a few minutes here so that, um, you know, then I can come downstairs and do whatever with you. Um, so yeah, that's been really important is to recognize that before it's more like, I don't know, like bubbling over, right. In other ways, like maybe frustration with my spouse, you know, who didn't do anything wrong. Um, or even, you know, frustration towards, um, the child and care in my home, right. Who, again, like a lot of times it's just life, right just gets to us sometimes. And we just need to take that time and space to show up in a really healthy way. Can you talk more about, you know, the process of going through this, like with your partner? I think you've elaborated on your individual side really well about knowing your own individual limits and honoring them. But um, how has like the communication changed with your partner to also see his limits and honor those? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, I feel like I can't fully answer it without him here, but I will attempt to do that. Um, <laughs> let me think, because that, that's a really good one of like, how do you also recognize your partner signs? You know, I think going back to that good intentions doesn't always equal good impact. I think I'm just trying to be so much more aware of the impact of my actions and the impact of the environment on situations. Um, and so how that plays out is with my partner, you know, maybe noticing, Hey, he seems really tired today, or, you know, I know he's had a really hard day at work. How can I be there to support him? You know, and maybe do a little more of the parenting, you know, than I normally would. Um, and I think we've gotten a lot better at noticing that in each other or just even verbalizing it. So sometimes I'll be like, Hey, you know, I just need the evening to myself tonight. Um, and just making sure we're able to honor that for each other, I think it's huge. And there's some days where, you know, you hit a wall and you just can't show up in the way that you want to. And so I think we do a really good job of like tag teaming that and like kind of being there when the other person can't be there. And at the same time, I think we've also struck a rhythm where we have certain um, family traditions isn't the right word, but just kind of like you know, rhythms in the day. So for example, we have a bedtime routine for the kid and care in our home. So like, even if one of us kind of has to take the majority of the night off, knowing that, Hey, we're going to come back together for that time that we have that bedtime routine, I think is also really great for the kid in our care as well. Cause then there's that consistency. Yeah. So I think that's great. It sounds like a lot of communication has also um, been greater established between you and your partner. And so being more transparent with each other. Um, do you see any notices with the kid in your household, like them noticing um, like the new transition of y'all's relationship? Or do you feel like um, because there's a difference in age that perhaps they don't really see that. Yeah. So, um, our first placement was a lot older than the one that we have now. Um, but I, I really think most of that transition took place during that rest period 
So I don't like as soon as the second placement came into our home, I think it was just a totally different dynamic um, in terms of how we were approaching the parenting because we had had so many conversations. Um, we also had met um, with um, our parenting coach early on when we knew this placement could be a possibility. Um, and so having that all set up, I think was really helpful. Um, we had also been to therapy together to, to just talk through, um, some disagreements we had or like different points of view so that we could find some commonalities. Um, and that was really helpful as well. So I think most of the transition took place beforehand, but I think, um, it's created a lot more calm environment in our home. Um, just, knowing that my partner and I are more on the same page of like how we want to approach things. And I think for me too, one thing I had to learn was to honestly like give some space because we do approach parenting so differently and it can often be a little bit conflicting. So we kind of had to meet in the middle. Um, and I think with our first placement, we were just figuring that all out. It was totally new to us, you know, parenting. Um, so there was definitely a learning curve. And I think since we had more of a sense of each other's parenting styles coming into the second placement, you know, we were able to more lean on each other's strengths. And then um, I think also bring up each other's weaknesses in a way that wasn't as, um, didn't create as much friction because when we were bringing that up with our first placement, it was sort of like a code red phase where we were like, hey, things aren't going the way we expected. We kind of want to get the train back on the track, you know, per se. And what, we were able to just open up a lot more conversations earlier on when we felt like things were going more well. Um, so then it was less tension filled, I would say. So that's another thing, I guess, is like checking in more frequently with your partner. And I think too, another thing is we've been able to really establish more so in our home that like um, my partner and I, like we are each other's main relationship and um I think that's just a healthier dynamic for kids too, to know like, Hey, these two adults in the home, if you are a two parent foster family, like they are dedicated to each other. They're there for each other. They have each other's backs. They're a united front. I think we just didn't really like know as much how to do that with our first placement. Cause it was one of our first experiences parenting. Right. So you learned a lot from your first placement, brought it into your second placement Let's say your second placement, he or she gets to go back to their parents. What do, what have you learned from your second placement? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Um, I guess really the importance of those routines, those family routines, um, that's, that's huge. And I think because we started out with much older children um, or youth, I should say, um, it was just kind of harder to establish those, I think. And we just, it wasn't as clear cut, like what needed to be done to establish those. Right. I think with a younger child, it was like a lot easier for us to see the importance of those. Right. Like obviously, you know, a younger child needs a lot more direction, <laughs> just the importance of those routines. But I can see how that's so important for a kid or youth of any age, right. To have that consistency day to day. Um, so that's been really huge for us. And I think it does bring a nice sense of like calm into the home because kids know more what to expect. And then us as the adults, we also know more what to expect as well. And even, you know, it just a simple thing as like a bedtime routine or, um, we started doing this thing lately where, um, 
we try to do affirmations. So, you know, a lot of times kids in care, like their self-esteem can be really, really low. And then that can lead to some big behaviors. And when they start to feel out of control too, if you don't love yourself, you know, you can imagine where that goes. So what we've started to do is on a more routine basis, like have the kid in our care say some of the positive things about himself. And then us also saying some of those positive things about himself. And I think that's another really good touch point to have as well, like a nice routine. Yeah, I think that's so positive. And I'm sure long term, you'll see the um, the positivity behind that. Um, another question for you is, so with a new child in your household, I'm sure that brought up different traumas, different triggers. Um, how did you navigate that differently from your first placement to your second? Oh, that is such a good question. And it's so true. It is so true because I feel like foster parenting sort of pushes on just every bruise you have, like from your childhood, um, as an adult, you know, whatever bruises you may have around parenting or being a parent um, really digs in there. Um, It's been hard for me to separate a little bit like this current placement from our previous placement. So especially the time of year that I felt like our previous placement got harder for everybody. Um, I really kind of had my guard up and was like really deeply analyzing situations that I probably wouldn't have beforehand. Um, And I can give a little example. So um, the kid in care in our home, he dressed up for um, Thanksgiving. Um, It's totally his choice, but it's so cute. Put on a tie and a button up shirt and, um, you know, knew I loved it. It was it was kind of just special. And then um, for Christmas, he had said that he was planning on dressing up as well. You know, we weren't pressuring him in any way. And then um, even that morning of Christmas Eve that we were celebrating Christmas, he's like, yep, I'm going to dress up today. And then he decided kind of right before we left not to dress up. And I just got really... (laughs) hurt by that. And I was like, oh my God, is this the beginning of the end? Like a month ago, you know, he wanted to dress up and like now he does it. And like, really, that's not a big deal at all, right? Like on a scale of one to 10, it's not even a one. It's totally not a big deal. It's nothing wrong. But I just was like really reading into that situation. I was like, oh, maybe he doesn't feel as close to us anymore. Or, um, you know, he knew I was so excited for him to dress up. Like, why did he all of a sudden decide not to? Like, do we not have as strong of a bond as I thought we did? Like all this stuff. So before I think what I would have done is just like smash my feelings down, even though they were irrational, right? Completely. Like I totally acknowledge that. Um, But instead I took a moment, I expressed in private to my partner, like, hey, I'm kind of like, I know it doesn't make sense, but I'm kind of worried about this situation. And he was able to be like, hey, you know, you're really not thinking logically. Let's think about this logically. And I also expressed to the kid in care in my home, I was like, you know what? Um, just so you know, you know, I'm not upset or, or I'm not angry at you is what I said. I'm not angry at you, but you know, my feelings were kind of hurt because you had promised that you would dress up and then you decided not to. And I'm not asking you to dress up. I just want you to know how I feel because sometimes when we promise people things and then it doesn't get followed through, like sometimes that can make people feel a, a little sad or whatever. I said something like that. And I think that was really important because if I hadn't, like he would have sensed that there was some energy between us that I wasn't addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've just gotten a lot more vocal and then realizing too, like, Hey, this is a good life skill for him to learn as well. Like if you say you're going to do something, 
you know, even if it's not a big deal, you know, it makes people feel good when you follow through. So I didn't make a big deal out of it. You know, he didn't end up dressing up, which is totally fine. We had a great Christmas Eve, of course, anyway. But then for New Year's Eve, he did decide to dress up, which I thought was pretty special. And it does show that like, hey, like day to day, you know, a child can, especially a child, um, you know, who's been, you know, in different homes, you know, or rehomed, of course, they're going to have, you know, a different onset on different days, you know, especially younger children too. They're growing and learning constantly and that's okay. Right. And we can't compare apples to oranges. Yeah. I love that story that you shared because I feel like it's a great representation of having a conversation with a kid and saying, and here's the outcome that it's making you feel very simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, angry or punishment or anything of that nature. But I think that's great because I feel like those are the conversations that make the most impact on a child. Um, and so just like seeing those as ways to to further have a positive impact. Yeah, because I think it's important that they know how their actions impact you. And I think before with my first placement, um, I was just always feeling like, hey, you know, my feelings aren't valid. What's valid is only the child in my care's feelings because, you know, that of course any child in foster care has been through a lot, right? So like who am I to feel a certain way because I'm choosing to be a parent. I'm choosing a foster parent. I'm choosing to do this and show up in this way. So, you know, my feelings aren't very valid. And that's just not true. And I think when we try to stuff them down, it's not healthy for anybody. And it is so important to see for kids to see in a, in a you know a very calm, respectful way how their actions do impact other people. You know, talking about your second placement, we said earlier that you know it's a younger child in the house. Do you feel like this is more of your age bracket because you used to have a teen in your first placement? So, just curious, like, is that something that you and your partner discussed about? wanting a specific age range or are you still keeping it broad? Yeah, I would just really encourage our listeners to be okay changing their mind over time. Sometimes you think you know how you'll react to a situation and you just don't know. And um, also too, like we said, we were open for any age. So it just was kind of by chance that we got a younger child in our home. Um, And it is interesting because, you know, Often you assume a lot. So we assumed we would be better at teenagers. But I think, um, you know, it's just so dependent on each child. So I think with this child, um, having a younger child was a little easier for us to learn some parenting skills. Um, That maybe is harder with a teenager, if that makes sense. Just because, you know, of the innateness of being a teenager, right? There's that push-pull dynamic to nurturing and parent parents, you know, or parental figures in their life. So um, it can sometimes make it a little harder, you know, just because of the stage of development. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You kind of have to gear your parenting to the age of the child too. Um, So question for you. So moving into 2022, what are what's like the hope and the dynamic of your household like do you think you'll add another placement do you think you'll just do respite care um what does that look like for you and your partner we're just taking things day by day and i think that's what foster care taught us last year too is you really can't predict the future and even when a future seems very concrete oftentimes that can change in foster care very quickly 
So I think that's what we're really focused on is taking things day by day, helping the kid in care in our home develop healthy um, skills so that they can hopefully have a successful future. Um, and, you know, just being open for whatever is best for that child, you know, if they're able to be reunited with family. Of course, we're always 110% um, supportive of that if it can at all be healthy. Um and, um, you know, we are a foster to adopt home. So if an opportunity like that comes up, we're also open to that. But I think, yeah, just taking things day by day and making sure that we are all getting our needs met, I think is something that's so important. And I think as at the forefront of my partners and I's minds as well is like, hey, how can we get this kid in care's needs met? But also how can we get our own needs met so that we can continue to show up in the best way for us all together? Well, that sounds like an exciting year. Um, is there any other um, points that you want to call out of like key learning? I should also add we're, we're like kind of always open to doing respite care as well on top of it. Um, so um, respite care is like um, usually one week or less and we do non-emergency respite care right now. Um, and that's also like a really fun opportunity to get to know a lot of different kids and um, to also get to know kids maybe outside of an age range that you thought you were suited for or even outside a gender range you thought you were suited for. So that's been really good for us. And I think that gave us more confidence in taking a placement that was a different gender and a different age than our previous placement. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's something else I would add, too, is, um, you know, there's different ways. Even as a foster parent, you can get involved. But, of course, there's many different ways you can get involved, like um, – you have a lot more experience in that. What's something you've learned over this past year? I'm interested to hear from you. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about that, but I think you made a good point of calling out non-emergency respite care. Do you want to explain the difference between those two and also go into how having a kid in your house um, might affect a respite care situation as well? Sure. So, um, with respite care, there's emergency respite care, which we've done before, which is basically like you're getting a phone call and they're like, this kid needs to be, you know, in a place for a few days or o up to a week um, tonight, right? They need to move tonight. Um, sometimes that can happen because their current foster family has an emergency family situation, right? Like maybe someone died and they need to like go out of state to a funeral right away, or it can happen because... Um, the kid is really struggling in the home, or maybe the foster parents are really struggling themselves, um, or it can happen because a kid is entering foster care. So um, that can be a little more tricky and a little more um, challenging just because oftentimes those kids are coming with really big feelings, right? It's like a huge disruption for them. Um, non-emergency foster care placement is usually happens when a foster family is just taking a break. And I guess I'm really glad we're getting into this because that's something else I really learned is like, I think with my first placement, I was like, I have to do stuff on my own as much as possible. And of course we have a team of people and a foster parent cannot do everything for a child. But with the second placement, um, really leaning in on our community and realizing like, hey, all I am is I'm a supportive player in this. This isn't all about me. This isn't all up to me. So the current kid in care in our home, he spends one night a week at my parents' house. And that's great. It's great for him. He gets new experiences. He gets to build relationships with other people. And it's great for my partner and I, right? We have that flexibility to just 
you know, go out with friends or, you know, even do stuff individually on our own that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, so non-emergency, um, respite care is, um, it's pre-planned. Um, so it's kind of like a vacation for the kids in foster care as well. Um, you know, they know it's coming. Um, we've had kids come to us multiple times, the same kids, so they know more what to expect. And it's kind of just a fun time for them. They're getting a break from, you know, being with their family and with their um, normal routine of day to day. And, um, yeah, it can be really fun. So that's a totally different dynamic than the emergency respite care. Yeah. I think that's a great, um, explanation. Um, Because I didn't know what respite care was until you started doing it. So I think it's great that they provide that so that you guys can get breaks and um, have a smoother relationship, right? (laughs) Right. Because it's a lot when it's a random kid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot for the kid. A kid is placed with a random family. And it totally makes sense that they would need a break from you. And we see a huge difference in the current kid in care in our home. Um, you know, having that ability to be able to spend the night somewhere else once a week, especially, you know, I would see too for kids who are used to bouncing around from place to place to place, it can feel really uncomfortable to be in one place for a longer period of time. So just realizing that and not taking it personal at all, I think is really important and just being like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you've had a lot of change and if you are experiencing a lot of change all the time, you also crave a lot of change all the time, a lot of the time. So just being able to provide varied experiences for the kids in care in your home can be really big too, you know, on top of that consistency. And I think that's a good point because that's a little bit different than maybe the common narrative. Sometimes they crave the norm and their norm is lots of change. And so how can you make that be possible in a healthier way? So it's like, you know, I think that's great that your kid in care right now is going to the same respite people. So it's kind of change, but change in a routine and healthy. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, because my parents are more or less providing respite care for us. They had all their paperwork approved and everything. Um, so yeah, it gives him the opportunity to build a relationship with different people. And to it, it's a change, but also a consistency, right? If he's going to the same place every week, um, so yeah, that's that's a really good point. Is that it's a healthier way than completely cutting ties or having to completely cut ties, right, from people. All right, so Rachel, I'd love to circle back to you. What are some of the things you've learned this past year? Yes, so 2021 has been a year of learning patience. As y'all know, I moved from Arizona to Arkansas, which meant that I had to restart my process of becoming a mentor. Um, But due to COVID, they weren't accepting new applications, so it's been kind of a put on hold. Um, So I think, you know, while I have the eagerness and desire to be a mentor, um, it's been a little hard and frustrating, um, but also understandable. And so using this time to self-reflect and to um, process, um, you know, what are some of my struggles and some of my um, trials of, you know, again, moving to a new state and kind of starting uh, starting over again in some ways um, with friendships and routines and all of that good stuff. So um, this year has just really been focused on 
um, you know, being patient and using that slow time to see how I can be better in the future so that when life does become fast paced and that I'm prepared for it. Yeah. What are some of those things you've learned about yourself as you've been reflecting that you want to bring into the new year with you? I think a huge one for me is definitely, um, seeing that sometimes my impact is slow, um, and that I'm not going to see immediate results. And so kind of that self-reflection of, yes, you can be eager to make changes, um, but just in my history of being a mentor or even going into prisons as a mentor, um, as a mentor, um, I've definitely just learned that and like self-reflecting on all of those conversations and those relationships of just seeing that one, it takes time to build those relationships. And so I can't expect, um, that while here in Arkansas, that I'm going to be able to build that as speedy. Um, and also too is cherishing those relationships still back at home. Um, so like for example, within the women in prison, um, just like I've stayed in contact with one gal, um, via, you know, writing letters back and forth. And I think that that is so important. Um, and just realizing that, yes, I can't be there in person. Um, and even if I was to be in person at an Arkansas prisoner jail, um, that it takes time to build those relationships too. And so just seeing how in the slow season, how I could be there, um, for the people that I already had met in Arizona and continuing that as well. Yeah, that's a really big one about your impact. Um, not being as quick as maybe you want it to be. Um, Cause I've struggled with that too, as a foster parent. Um, and it's just so important to realize too, that a lot of times people or kids, right. That are dealing with the system, you know, they need time to change just like you and I, right? Need time to change. And hey, it took me like a whole year <laughs> to learn all the lessons I learned, right? It wasn't just an overnight thing. Um, and sometimes change is slow, but I think sustainable change, right, is often slower. Um, so that's a really good point. That's something I'm going to think more about, actually, now that you brought that up. And I think it takes those times of that slow period to really assess and and to say, okay, well, how can I bring this forward into my fast-paced environment? Um, because I think that when life is so speedy, we sometimes forget to take a step back um, and see like, okay, well, how can I, um, how can I do better? And how can I make this a habit? And how can I not forget about this so that it does become a habit, right? <laughs> no, that's so true. And I see that too, when we're trying to, you know, teach the kid in care in our home some new skills, right? Because, it's one thing to implement new skills when you're, for example, like calm, right? And it's a totally other thing to implement them when you're feeling elevated or stressed or overwhelmed. And it's the same for us as adults, right, too. Um, you know, it takes a lot to make sure that these new habits carry forward in all types of situations, even when we're not running 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think another, you know, call out is something that I've learned is um, – you choose to put your time where you want to put it. I think you have, obviously, we all have responsibilities of some layer. Um, and there's going to be busier seasons than others. Um, 
But I think what's also been important is like, how am I filling my free time? I find that um, I'm definitely a workhorse. And so if I don't like schedule my like social interactions or um, periods of time where I'm going to read or do things that would actually benefit me, like personally, um, for my self growth and, um, you know, recouping my self-esteem, if you will. I think that I oftentimes won't do it. And then I'll be like, wow, why did I work two extra hours? You know, I could have done that the next day. Um, while I think it's good to be prepared professionally, um, I think that, you know, you kind of have, I had to reevaluate how I was using my time. Um, and so I think that that's something definitely in this next year that I will continue to do and kind of just continue to monitor that as well. Yeah, no, I love that because I've noticed a parallel in my own life and it kind of in a similar way of that. Um, I realized that to be, to show up how I want to as a foster parent for the kid in care in my home currently, I really had to take a step back from a lot of things. Um, because I realized if I wasn't like rested and didn't have a reserve of energy for this child, then, you know, it, things weren't going to go as well. Like I kind of have to stay 10 steps ahead of this kid, um, to make sure, you know, that he gets to school or brushes his teeth and does personal hygiene, stuff like that. Um, and different kids of course require different levels of energy. Um, and so for me, I've had to take a step back from my career um, in order to make sure that I'm showing up for him in a good and healthy way. Because um, I knew that like if I'm spreading myself too thin career wise, I'm going to be like more irritable. I'm going to not have as much patience, right, for those day to day things that kids require, right? And especially kids in care with big behaviors require sometimes huge amounts of patience and flexibility, too. You know, we've gotten phone calls um, from school or phone calls from after school activities, you know, when things aren't going well and we kind of need to be available for that. So, it's been a really interesting season as I've had to rebalance my life, which sounds like something you've done as well. Yeah. And I think that's a great point of how are we investing our time today? Because how will that investment turn out? And I think that when you prioritize a kid in care that's new in your house and you invest more time in them, they'll essentially need less time over the course of years, right? Obviously, a relationship takes lots of time. But um, you know, I think that if you're not able to establish healthy routines, help them where they need extra help, which is establishing this new routine, teaching them new good behaviors, um, I think you'll just then continue to see bad behaviors, which will cost you a lot more time down the road, um, whereas you could be using that to bond in healthier ways um, instead of, you know, continuously correcting behavior. Mm, that That is a good point. Um, you know, it is always a huge time investment, like you said, but um, a good example of what you're saying is like that upfront investment that is required is so the kid in care in our home, like oftentimes when I would ask him to do something like really simple, even like, for example, he'd be like, can I have some grapes? And I'm like, sure, wash your hands before you eat them his response would be really disrespectful. And I think part of it was he didn't realize it. Um, 
but he was just so flooded just um just with his like stress level just having you know recently moved to our home that anything would just tip him over the edge and every single time that he responded disrespectfully I would say hey what was that not in an aggressive way sort of in a playful way but in a way that made him redirect his attention and he'd have to take an additional step to address that so um that was really big and you know there were some days where I didn't want to say that because I'm like, can we just ignore that that just happened? I don't want to spend the energy to be like, hey, what was that? You know, and then make him say a more respectful response. But it really paid off. So it took several weeks, if not a few months. And then he started correcting himself even before I had the chance to say, hey, what was that? He'd be like, oh, wait, I mean, yes, ma'am. Or, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I mean, yes. Um, And I think it did a really good job of establishing that, hey, you know, we need to be respectful of each other. I'm going to be respectful of you. I also expect you to be respectful of me. And it's going to make it harder for you if you're not respectful of me. You're going to have to take that additional step to re-say that. And that was a time investment. But now, you know, I don't have to deal with that on a daily basis anymore. So it's less time and less friction. But if I hadn't addressed it every single time, I'm sure it would be something I was still dealing with today. Right. So taking away maybe that it's not necessarily that that situation was negative, but it was a correction Mm -hmm. um, interaction. And so taking away less corrections, you'll then have, you know, better positive interactions, which I think um, increases the bond as well. And so, um, yeah, doing more of that up front is going to have you have those better bonding experiences in the long run. Right. Because now when he does respond respectfully, you know, I do give positive feedback for that. You know, I'll be like, great, you know, thank you, you know, for that really respectful answer. And um, yeah, you're right. It's much more opportunities for bonding when, you know, there's respect across the board and things are going well. I think that there's just so much that we learned in 2021 that it's really hard to put this all into one podcast, but I think that it will be exciting to see how we can make these improvements and bring them into 2022. And we'd love to hear your thoughts of what you learned um, in this year and if anything we said resonated with you or even if you disagreed with anything course we're all ears and you can visit our website justaspecial.com and leave a comment on this episode webpage or as always you can also email us at hello at justaspecial.com and you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at justaspecial that's a wrap